You're listening to Joy Coaching America with the Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant, spreading upbeat, uplifting, informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Welcome to Joy Coaching America with Karen Lynn Grant interviewing Blake Graham. Today I am so excited to have you, Blake, on this program as the chairman of the Bula Vida Health Advisory Board. Now I've known Blake for some time and he has blessed my life in so many ways. So he comes with my testimonial as well as testimonials of many, many people who I know who love Blake, who love his altruistic nature, his personality, his willingness to help. And Blake has really been someone that I have turned to during this experience with COVID in my own family, COVID in my own home. And so today we have got a wonderful program outlined for you in four different segments. And Blake, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. And I'm excited for you to share your story, your path of what put you on this amazing expertise level of health training and wellness and well-being and immune protection. So please share with our listening audience how you came to have a passion for health. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Karen, and the feeling is mutual. You have definitely blessed my life, and uh, I always have great respect for the people that are helping to bless the lives of others. You know, my path kind of started when I was young, and I was interested in doing something that really would help people. You know, in the course of providing for your family, you can do anything, right? But my mother at the time, um, when I was eight, I, around the time I was eight, she had a brain tumor and surgery to remove that and uh, ever since then she was on medications i mean i remember one time it was 15 different medications she had and all sorts of health concerns so i was very interested in health and i actually started out in pre-med and while i'm at pre-med we're learning physics and biology and calculus and chemistry and all of those things were fascinating subjects but um, when we asked about nutrition we were told that there would be one 30-minute lecture on nutrition between the four years of undergraduate work and four years of graduate work. You know, eight years of schooling, one 30-minute lecture on nutrition, wow. and no test, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, why is it that they don't look at nutrition? You know, does nutrition not have anything to do with our health and our bodies? And it didn't make a lot of sense to me. About that time, I was asked to translate for a very large local nutritional company, and they do skincare as well, but they were really excited about nutrition, and they were going into Japan, and I had lived in Japan for a few years and spoke Japanese, and that was the first time I came across the word antioxidants, right? And I had to learn some new vocabulary, but... Um, they kept quoting medical journal articles. And I remember being fascinated by it. And I went and asked my professor. Now, my professor was an MD that was in charge of the entire 2,000 students in the pre-med department. And I asked him, can these antioxidants really help prevent cancer? Because, you know, preventing cancer seems like a very big deal to me, right? Cancer rates seem to be going up and up. And we all know somebody whose life has been touched. And unfortunately, he often touched in a negative way by cancer. And so... Uh, I asked him, can this really help prevent cancer? And he kind of blew it off. He's like, no, nah, it's a bunch of lies. And that was surprising to me. But I thought, you know, these people I'm translating for, they don't seem like liars. They seem like very good, honest people. But if it is 
with somebody that's uh, not telling the truth, it should be very easy to find out uh, because all you have to do is look up the medical journals that they keep quoting and see if they exist or not. And I thought to myself, well, maybe it's not that the medical journals don't exist. It's just that they're so new that my, my professor, the doctor, doesn't know about it. And I went and looked it up. And at the time, this is actually before we even had PubMed. You know, this is, uh, uh, I kind of date myself a little bit, but this is so back in 1992. So we're, we're 29 years ago. And, and I looked it up on, on this Medline that we had at the university. And I was blown away that there were 800 articles in medical journals on antioxidants. I was blown away that these articles went back to 1970 and the information was just overwhelming. So then I started to wonder, well, why is it that we're not using them? And I came to learn, and many people understand this, when it comes to, when it comes to health and Western medicine, there's a lot of education that happens from pharmaceutical companies. And just ask yourself this one simple question. Do pharmaceutical companies make money when we're healthy? Or do they make more money when we're sick? Absolutely not. <laughs> their purpose is not health. Their purpose is selling medication. They're selling pharmaceuticals, right? And oftentimes, even today, you'll see treatments with medical innovation that always favors an increase in health costs, not a decrease, an increase in health costs. And even they'll go with the new medication and we just assume it's new and improved. It might be less effective, but nobody says that because they don't do any comparisons with the former medication. And it's, it's really a system that unfortunately is a great profit-making center, but not necessarily results-oriented. And I got thinking to myself, you know, here I am wanting to help people. I thought we can do more through nutrition and disease prevention and even giving the body the tools that it support the body's ability to heal itself than through any drug or surgical technique ever invented. And I got very excited about it. And uh, I actually had uh, one of my mentors later that I met that was a veterinarian turned physician and he talked about in the animals that they had had 900 different diseases they were able to eliminate with nutrition. And I got very excited. And I became, you know, my path started to diverge and I became a health educator and a health journalist because I had some chemistry background and biology background. And, you know, I started in pre-med, even though I went on the natural healing route, I knew enough of the science that when the experts would speak, I would understand what they said. And just like translating from English to Japanese, sometimes you have to translate from a medical jargon into real English so that people can understand it. That was, I remember one of my classes was actually about that. What do these medical journals mean? And it was fascinating to me. And so that became my focus. And I've worked with some amazing people. I had one gentleman, Dr. Schrauser, who actually uh, was an official nominator for the Nobel Prize in Medicine, head of the, the chemistry department at UCSD, and probably the world's leading expert on selenium. And he was actually uh, the lead scientist witness in multiple lawsuits with the FDA to say that selenium can help prevent cancer. And I had the opportunity to tour with him twice in Japan and to be his translator and to work with him and did interviews. And I, there were so many others. I mean, 
pharmacist, uh, one gentleman that actually helped to change health regulations in our United in the United States, um, uh, one uh, lady that actually taught biochemistry in med schools, and uh, you know the list went on and on and on. There were probably thirty different people that I had worked with, and we created tools to help educate people. And really, that's what it's about. I always use this phrase: we educate, and you decide. And what fascinated me the most is sometimes there are things you can do that, um, you know, you do a lot of it and you get little results, right? Other times there are things you do a little bit of it and get huge results. And I thought those are the core principles. Those are the ones that we need to pay attention to. And it's been a fascinating journey to me for the last, you know, close to 30 years now. But uh, what also unfortunately alarms me and, um, I'm sure we're going to spend some time talking about this, is that despite all of the innovation that we've seen, despite you know, being able to do things with our, our smartphones that we couldn't even do with computers you know, a couple of decades ago, despite being able to have technology where we can get on and talk face to face with people all around the world and essentially for free, despite all of that, why is it that we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker as a society. Do we not know or are we going in the wrong direction? And this is a key principle to me because think of it this way. If you're going in the wrong direction, are you ever going to get to where you want to go? If you're going in the wrong direction, you know, and you probably not. not. And you know, my husband and I were just talking about this tonight. I said to him, I, I know more cases of sick people and with all different kinds of range of illness and bodily issues, health issues, than I ever remember ever hearing about in my whole entire life. That now you can't meet a family without somebody having something. Well, I mean, even aside from COVID, there's just so much going on. And you think exactly what you just said. With the healthcare system the way it is with 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 life the way it is with all of the innovations and everything that's happening you think that it would be getting better so that's a true point yeah and you're absolutely right it should be getting better but the challenge is we're going in the wrong direction the other challenge is unfortunately we've been uh, fed a lot of misinformation we have this common sense, you know, because we get told time and time again. But remember, before Columbus, everybody knew that the world was flat. Didn't make it right. It just meant that that's what everybody knew. But if we do the wrong things, even if we do it as a society, we reap the rewards of doing the wrong things. You know, I just appreciate you so much. And I appreciate your pure heart, Blake, and your absolutely pure altruism. You know, you think that every doctor would have this pure altruistic nature and desire to truly help. I love, you know, is it Hippocrates that said, let food be thy remedy. And so I am so excited to learn more from you and to listen more to you as we continue in this program and ask you some pertinent questions about immune system and, and who is Corona affecting the most and all of that. So we've got lots of good information coming up right after this station break. Thank you so much, Blake, for being here with me today. Thank you.
from sea to shining sea and beyond. You're listening to Joy Coaching America Worldwide with show host and Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America with Karen Lynn Grant interviewing Blake Graham. And right now, Blake, I am so excited for the topic that you're going to address, which is the rising tide of disease. And don't you have a website with that name? Can you give us your website so anybody who's listening to you can go and search you out? Yeah, it is. It's risingtideofdisease.com. And that's when you can see a lot of these statistics and, and kind of review this information. We'll have some uh, kind of a health survey that you can take to see if there are things that you can do to help improve your health as well. But if we're going to talk about this rising tide of disease, if it's all right, I'd like to do a screen share and show people some of these statistics because sometimes when they're up in front of you in black and white, you know, you feel the impact a little more. Because this is a radio show, we won't be able to see them, but you know what? I would be able to follow along and I would love to see them. I I think this is such important, pertinent information. So I hope you're all listening. And then go to the risingtideofdisease.com. And Blake has got all of this information right there where you can go and view this. It's fascinating. I have seen this. I've heard Blake present. And you're going to love this. You're going to love this information. So go ahead yeah. and share with us. And I do, um, I do like... And we look at these that we can actually see some of the numbers because, you know, I had no idea it was as bad as it was. We get the sense that we get the sense that uh, maybe people are getting sicker than ever before because it's like the new norm. But if you look at, especially in the last uh, three decades, from 1990 to 2021, we have the deadliest decade since World War II with an alarming increase in the rise of disease. Now, if you go back to the 1960s, this is something you mentioned, and uh, there's a Dr. Zach Bush, who is an MD that talks about this. In the 1960s, only 4% of children that were born were expected to ever develop a chronic disease. 4%. That means 4 out of 100. Today, if you look at adults in America, now this is a RAND corporation that does statistics for the Senate. In a RAND corporation, when you talk about these statistics, it's 2017 they did this, but age 18 and over, 60% of adults have at least one chronic disease. 60%. The average American has a chronic disease. And those uh, that are in the category of five or more chronic diseases take an average of 51 prescriptions a year. Now, if they're a monthly prescription, there aren't 51 prescri uh, 51 months in a year, but it's going to be like my mom. Some of them are taking four, five, six. My mom was on 15 different prescriptions. And all of these things affect our body. Folks, well, if you look at stats from the New England Journal of Medicine that were published in April 2, 2015, they looked at the statistics of people that are dying from heart disease. And with all of the advances in medicine, we had a 41% increase in deaths from heart disease from 1990 to 2013. If you look from the statistics from the Center for Disease Control from 1997 to 2011, there's a 50% increase in food allergies among children. And I wish we had statistics that went back before 1992 because when we ask ourselves why, we'll talk about this in a minute, 1992 is when everything started to change and we started to increase how many people are getting sick. From 1999 to 2015, a 50% increase in inflammatory bowel disease. Now, 
back in the early 1990s, I never even heard of things like celiac disease or Crohn's disease, but now they're commonplace and they continue to grow. And from 2007 to 2012, according again, statistics from the Center of Disease Control, we had a 50% increase in ADHD in children ages two to five. We had a 300% from, two, uh, from 1990 to 2010 300% increase in diabetes, according to a, an article in PubMed, uh, PMC 527-8808, if somebody wants to, to look that up. And here's one that absolutely broke my heart, because from 1991 to 2015, looking in the actual numbers of deaths due to Alzheimer's, we had a 783% increase in the number of people dying from Alzheimer's, according to the Center for Disease Control and the Alzheimer's Association. Well, you think, yeah, but haven't we grown as society? Well, maybe, but not 783%. Our seniors are getting sicker than ever before. And this is before Corona. This is before we've had some of the things that have increased well, it. And, and that, think- that date was just to 2015. It was long before Corona that that increase of 783%. These are staggering numbers. They are. They are. They are sad numbers. And they're still not the worst one. The worst one is what's happened with our kids with autism. Because from the 1990s to 2018, we went from one out of 2,500 children being born with autism to one out of 55. That's a 4,200% increase in autism, according to the Center for Disease Control. And if you ask yourself this, can we as a society afford to go through that same increase. If it's a 4,200% increase, that means you go from one to 55 to 42 out of 55, four out of five kids born in autism. There's no way in this, as a society we could ever sustain that. Why is it that our kids are getting sicker than ever? And it doesn't just stop with, with what's happening with our health. The financial burden is increasing. From 1991 to 2016, we saw 66% increase in bankruptcies from Americans 55 to 65, and a 204% increase in bankruptcies from Americans 65 to 74. What is the number one reason? Medical costs. And again, this is before we have society lockdowns and and corona and all of the things that's happened with society today. We were already a nation that was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And we'll learn later how much that impacts us. But just ask is it's not just diseases, but how many of us, us or our family, are affected by pain or inflammation or by a lack of energy or digestion problems or a weak immune system or brain fog. I mean, do you ever go into a room to get something? When you get there, you can't remember what it was you went to get. Or you look at your kids, you look them right in the eye and you call them by the wrong name. I've been doing that for since I was 21. (laughs) That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We want to take our senior moments and turn them into junior moments, right? To rebuild the brain. And it's not just that. It's that word that you can't get to, you know, that thing, that thing. And waking up in the middle of the night to use the restroom because your kidneys are having to make up for all the extra sugar that's running around in your blood, right? If you're waking up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, that can be a sign. You know, the word diabetes in Japanese is actually literally translated sugar in the urine disease. And the number one sign is you're waking up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. Now you can measure your sugar, but you can also just look at what's happening. Do you ever, do you ever eat a meal and get tired afterwards? 
and think about the logic of that. You know, do we go to a gasoline station, put gas in our car and need it to take a 30 minute nap before we drive away, right? No, we don't. We put energy in, we should get energy out. But yet for you and I, so many times, for the people listening to this, so many of us have this challenge that we just don't feel good. And when you eat and you get tired afterwards, you know what that is? That's a sign your body's going into fat storage mode. Oh, that extra energy, don't use it now. Don't wake up, you know, don't, don't have more mental clarity and focus. Instead, let's store them. And with all of the rise in obesity, and, and again, looking at obesity statistics in that same uh, two to three decade window, we have a 280% increase in obesity too in the United States. And that's before, again, the quarantine 15, when people were locked down and, and gaining weight because they're at home eating snack foods all the time, right? We are having a society where we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so you ask yourself, why? Why are we getting sicker? What changed? And there was actually research from the Obesity Research and Clinical Practice back in 2016, where they said that really our foods are changing our gut in a way that promotes weight gain and obesity. And we'll talk more about this, how damaging our society is right now to some of the core principles of health and what it is that we can do about it. You know, Blake, I just want to thank you. I think that this is such an important subject and it does my heart good as I have been watching the battle of coronavirus in my own home for the past 17 days. And I am listening to what you're saying and I am so grateful for the decision you made all those years ago to go the health, the health nutritional way for the way that you are blessing lives, because I know that you're blessing lives. I'm aware of the work that you're doing. And I'm excited to continue this interview and want to tell you, we've got a part two to do to this interview because there is just so much great information that you can learn from Blake Graham, who is here with us today discussing nutrition and the rising of disease in our country today and around the world. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. This is Karen Lynn Grant with Joy Coaching America interviewing our wonderful Blake Graham, and we were just discussing the microbiome in the gut and what is happening to our, to our bodies in 2021. And why is inflammation increasing? Why are digestive issues increasing? Why are diseases on the rise? Blake, hop right in here with me and teach us more. This is fascinating information. Well, one of the things that 
I think a lot of people are familiar with is this concept of inflammation. And inflammation, think of this as congestion in the body. Congestion is like if you've been in a traffic jam, if you've been in rush hour where there's a lot of time spent without a lot of rushing going on, right? Where you're stuck in traffic, um, you get fewer cars getting on and fewer cars getting off. You don't get to where you need to go. Well, that happens in the body. We're going to call it inflammation. There's a lot of different inflammation mechanisms, but what it means is fewer toxins out. We don't get rid of the garbage and fewer nutrients in. When the body's inflamed, think of an injury. You get a sprained ankle, and you've seen athletes that uh, they get a sprained ankle and they ice it and heat it and ice it and heat it, and you're trying to break up the inflammation because when the inflammation is there, you're not getting new nutrients in. You're not getting that rebuilding. You're not getting the healing we need to heal the body and this is a big deal and it's running amok and there are certain things that are actually causing that and if you look at harvard health letter in april of 2006 they showed that research is showing that chronic inflammation may be the common factor in many diseases you can see disease after disease after disease that's affected by it and especially if you see people that have more than one disease that have sore shoulders and low back pain and a leg cramp or restless leg syndrome, an eyelid twitch, and at the same time get sleepy after meals or wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom or have that thing, that thing where they can't remember what it was. They go into a room to get or they call their kids by the wrong name. Some of the things we've already talked about. These are signs of different deficiencies that happen in the body and inflammation to be a common factor. Now, why? Do we have more inflammation than ever before? Why do we have our kids, our school age, elementary age kids that are suffering from diseases that we used to think were the diseases of old age? And one of the things that you have to look at is what are we eating? And I'm not talking about our, the, our actual diet because if you go back to the 1990s, and I remember the 1990s, you probably remember the 1990s, we had fast food, we had junk food, we had microwaves, we had so many of the things that we have now, and yet we didn't have as much disease. What changed? Well, according to the Environmental Protection Agency, right now, in a report they released in 2013, there were 36 neurotoxic chemicals registered for use in agriculture in the United States. And all of these can potentially cause acute and subacute, meaning long-term, toxicity. And if you look at this from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, released the data released on August 24, 2014, they said right now, if you want to see how much of our food, and you've heard all this thing about gluten intolerance, and I have friends that have gluten intolerance, but when they go to Europe, they can eat the wheat. They can eat the pasta, they can eat the bread, they can eat the pizza, they don't have the problems, they come back, they've eaten a lot and they've actually lost weight instead of having these chronic inflammation in the gut that hurts, right? But if you look at what happens, we have started to put herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides on 99% of durum wheat, 97% of spring wheat, and 61% of winter wheat. And we often use this in something called desiccation, where they actually spray it to kill off the wheat so they can harvest it all at the same time. You know, if you look at your apples, they don't all ripen at the same time, right? Your tomatoes don't all ripen at the same time. Wheat is the exact same way. But for the farmer trying to save money, if you could spray it and kill it off, one of the things that it does, just like salmon, when you catch them, if you're fishing in Alaska or, or, and you catch a salmon, right before you pull it out, it releases any egg or sperm. If you prune your vineyard, which means you cut off some of the, the branches because the, the 
orchard, uh, the apple tree, the orange tree, whatever it happens to be, has actually gone through some stress, it produces more fruit. And the same thing happens with the wheat. They teach the farmers, hey, look, spray it with these chemicals, these poisonous chemicals that are going to kill it, and you're going to get a 3% increase in yield. And they do that, too many of them. And it affects us. In fact, if you look at research that comes from Dr. Stephanie Seneff, and she's the senior researcher at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. She says, if you look at the stats and trace the increase of diabetes, it actually parallels the increase of GM, a genetically modified food, which is actually modified in a way that incorporates these herbicides into the DNA so they don't die off. They call it Roundup Ready, right? And it's the same thing with those stats. And you can see some of these. Uh, we'll have them on the website, the rising tide of disease, if people want to see these graphs. But it's absolutely incredible and how the link between the increase of these, of these glyphosates, some of these chemicals in our food, parallels the increase in in dementia and death due to senile dementia and this is one that actually scares me they look at something called the pearson correlation coefficient which means how closely does a parallel parallel it and uh, the it is a 99 percent parallel between the increase of these chemicals on our crops and the increase in autism and for the first time in society the first time in decades, we're seeing mothers that grew up on these chemicals having babies. And when you've damaged the digestive tract, mm -hmm. and that's what I want to get to, these chemicals have been shown in PubMed and interdisciplinary toxicology in December of 2013, that they disrupt the good bacteria, they cause damage or holes in our intestinal wall, and they contribute to autoimmune uh, diseases. And if you look at research from Dr. Zach Bush, and I love Dr. Zach Bush, he's like a, a triple certified MD. And he started out in cancer research and he says, we're going at this the wrong way and got into some of this information on natural healing. But he says, look at the research. What happens with these chemicals is they break down the connection between the cells and our intestinal tract. And what that means is if you've ever cut your lawn, right? Think of your villi as blades of grass that are sticking up. And you get absorption when it gets down between the villi in our small intestine, right? What happens if you go through and you cut those off? What happens? And it only takes 16 minutes of exposure to damage that, to cut those off. Those villi between the outer wall and the blood, there's only one cell thickness. It's only one cell thick. And so just disrupting that, you're cutting this off. You can see graphical representation on some of these slides that you'll be able to see on the site. But it's incredible at the damage that happens when we take these chemicals. And you mess up digestion, you mess up everything in the body. Digestion is the door to the body. We need to do something to fix the problem. And that's why I get so excited about the right approach. Because with the right approach, it's not just, I want to use this analogy. When you get a flat tire, it doesn't help. I mean, maybe it helps a little bit, but it doesn't fix the problem if all you do is put air in the flat tire. You got a nail sticking out. You put air in. It goes flat again. You put more air in. It goes flat again. You put more air in. It goes flat again. Why? Because you haven't addressed the cause. So you have to do two things. You can't just put air in it. You got to pull the nail out and you got to patch the, you got to patch the hole. 
we have to fix the damage that is done. It's not enough to go gluten-free and chemical-free. You know, that's like saying, hey, I am no longer going to run over nails. That's my strategy to fixing the tire. It's a nice strategy. There's nothing wrong with that strategy. It's just incomplete. You have to fix the damage. And this is something I get so excited about because in our day and age, the good Lord has put things on our planet, put things in our hands that are designed to help us with the challenges we have today. Things that help us actually patch those holes. And I get so excited about it because it's something that when you can patch the hole and you can help the body heal, when you can improve digestion, you can get nutrition for everything in your body better. We're supposed to get nutrition out of the food we eat. But how many of us are taking supplements after supplements after supplements and getting suboptimal results because they're just not absorbing? You know, it's not enough to eat healthy. We have to fix the damage. And then we have to know what to do to fix that damage. And that's why I get so excited and so passionate about this. Because if people know what to do, more of them are empowered to do it. You know, Blake, just last night, my husband and I were watching a television show where a commercial kept interrupting and saying that there is now a lawsuit for those people that have been, uh, have been exposed to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma due to Roundup. And billions of dollars are now available to these people that have contacted the disease, disease through the Roundup experience and everything that you're just talking about. I'm so excited to hear this, and I am so excited for, for now the solution as well. We needed to be aware of these statistics, and I'm so grateful. Everybody, you can go to Blake's website. We'll be right back after the station break with more from Blake Graham. Thank you for joining us on Joy Coaching America. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America with Carolyn Grant interviewing Blake Graham. And Blake, we have been talking about, you've been sharing, and I've just been sitting here spellbound, not wanting to interrupt or make a comment because I am absolutely enthralled with this poignant information. It is sobering, but it is so good to know. And it's comforting because it's comforting to know the truth. And right now I am so excited to hear about some of the solutions you're going to talk about. You've been talking about, yeah, we can vow that we're not going to run over a nail again, but if we don't fix our leaky tire, we're going to still have problems. And so now we're going to find out what we can do to combat disease that's on the rise in America and beyond with Blake Brown. Hey, thank you so much, Karen. It is a pleasure to be with you. And it's a pleasure to get this information out because, you know, I believe we have a calling to make a difference in life. Life is about the people. I always say that. It's about the people. And a good life is one that helps to bring out the good in other people. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to make a difference. And I get very excited about that because remember the, the whole mantra is we educate, you decide. We educate, you decide. I want to take a, a little bit of a look at, at how severe these diseases are. And I want to go back to the very first 
research that was released in the Journal of the American Medical Association about COVID and pre-existing conditions. And this was in March 19 of 2020 with uh, the outcomes of 21 critically ill patients with COVID-19 in Washington state. The very first one that was released back in March of 2020. And they looked at pre-existing conditions. And what they found were that 33% of those that uh, were hospitalized due to COVID had a constructive, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart disease, right? Congestive heart failure was 42.9%. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, looking at kidney disease was 47.6%. Um, and there, you know, you'll see lots of other things that go on and on and on. But uh, the total from this research of people that already had a disease that were hospitalized was 85.7%. Now, that's the very first research released in March 19, 2020, from the Journal of the American Medical Association. Unfortunately, it didn't stop there. Research that was later released. Um, uh, the last summer about what was happening in New York where they had 5,700 people that they studied that were hospitalized due to COVID-19. Those that had pre-existing conditions, they call them comorbidity. And it's kind of morbid how sick people are actually, but it's all of these other conditions. 94% of those hospitalized for COVID had a pre-existing condition. Here's what it means. When you're sick, it's easier to get sicker. And I know this is something that you're dealing with right now uh, with your husband. Some people get COVID and it's like it's very light to them. But if you have an existing disease, and for you, I know with your husband with a painter's lung where he is already more susceptible to infection in his lung, he has a harder time than other people do. It's affecting him more. And Yes, and Blake, I want to just share that we both got diagnosed with it, you know, and tested positive for it on the last day of 2020. So we've had COVID since 2020. Um, and But mine, I took the ginger and the turmeric that you're gonna be talking about, and I was able to manage cold chills, aches and pains, and the headaches. And my symptoms were gone within five days, at no more than five days. We're on day 17 with him, and the doctor talked about this comorbidity day, and that with painter's lung, that makes him high risk and more susceptible. And so this is huge on my topic of, you know, personal experience here with what I'm dealing with. And so I so appreciate the study and the time that you put into this. Well, and I get excited about what can we do? And I know there's been almost a political push that we don't want to teach people what they can do to boost their own immune system. You know, some of the things, whether it's, heat therapy or vitamin C or stuff that's actually in those medical journals, they're labeling fake news because there's, there's money to be made if everybody's getting a vaccine and there's some control when people are scared. And so I believe that instead of being scared, get educated and empower yourself because there are things you can do. And I want to go to an article that came out in the journal of clinical immunology in January of 2007 that talks about some of these God-given substances and the the ability they have in our day and age to help us with the problems we face. And you mentioned turmeric, but this one where it actually says the spicing up of the immune system by curcumin. And it talks about this and it actually says that curcumin and turmeric has been shown to be a potent activator 
of T cells, of macrophages, of B cells, of neutrophils, natural killer cells, and dendritic cells. And it can also have, enhance antibody responses. Now, you might not know what all of those things do, but think of this, the immune system isn't one thing. It's a system, a protection system, a security system where there's early warning uh, systems, right? Facial recognition, where there's antibodies to produce immunity, natural key, uh, killer T cells and B cells and macrophages that will surround and destroy invading, uh, invading things. But all of these we see over and over again. And when you look at what's shown in the medical journal, this article goes on to say, it talks about curcumin's reported benefit. And again, this is in PubMed.gov. It's the U.S. National Library of Medicine that has, has released this information, indexed this information. But it, I'm going to quote from it specifically. Curcumin's reported beneficial, beneficial effects in arthritis, allergy, asthma, arteriosclerosis, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, and cancer might be due in part for its ability to modulate or enhance the immune system. Well, look, you, I have a question real quick. Is curcumin the same as turmeric? That's a good question. And the answer is no. Curcumin is a part of turmeric. Turmeric actually has more than curcumin. And the best turmeric, not just the average turmeric, but the best turmeric, I call it high-impact turmeric, actually doesn't have just one form of curcumin. There are three different forms. Wow. And there's very few plants in the world that you're going to see that has all three forms. But especially when I, that's the kind that I like, that this high impact turmeric. And with having all three forms, there's a lot of research on turmeric. There's a lot of research on curcumin, you know, that you're going to see it. And there's some overlap because, you know, curcumin is one of the main components of turmeric. But the benefits are just absolutely incredible. And you can see this over and over in the medical journals, how, how these, these cells that are activated by curcumin are actually uh, help to initiate our immune response. It gets the immune system up and running. So it identifies things before they become that big of a problem. If you can address it when it's still small, you have less damage to repair from. If yeah. you wait until the problem's bigger, there's more damage to do. And whether you see that in uh, the journal of virus resolution, or uh, you, you see that in the medical science monitor, or all of these articles that are indexed um, in pubmed.gov on nutrition and the immune system. It's absolutely, absolutely incredible, right? Um, there is uh, things that I get absolutely excited about, information out of the University of Zurich that talks about about macrophages, again, that are activated by curcumin, being absolutely vital to helping protect the body against viruses, right? And um, the effect goes on and on and on. Journal of Current Topics in Microbiology and Immunology talks about how this, again, T cells, and T cells are, again, one of those things activated by turmeric, makes a huge difference in your ability to survive when you get an infection, right? We all have heard of antibodies. Well, they're produced by something called B cells. And remember, this comes from the University of Rochester and their, from their medical center. But they talk about that the, this B cells to influenza A virus infection generates virus-specific antibodies and memory B cells that play a key role in protective immunology. You do, if you get sick and you don't want to get sick again, that's where the B cells kick in. And this is one of those, again, from that research that was enhanced by the by a, a curcumin in the Journal of Clinical Immunology. But it doesn't stop 
there. There's great information, and this one is from the Journal of Genomics and Informatics in 2016 that talk about ginger and, and turmeric helping to inhibit the H1N1 virus. Now, viruses can be a little different, but if it's got antiviral activity, it can definitely definitely be of great support. And we see this that you, you see in the medical journals um, that we talk about ginger helping to kill cold viruses and combat chills and fever. And it's a great detox and it helps to heal the digestive tract. And I wish, I really wish we could show this to people because what we found is when you look at ginger, I actually had a gentleman that uh, was the age of 14 and at the age of 14, he had kidney issues so bad. His kidneys weren't working so bad. He just didn't have a demon in his legs. He had it in his face. He couldn't go to school. And the doctors wanted to put him on, the doctors wanted to put him, him on uh, dialysis. But the statistics are four, five, six years on dialysis destroys the arteries and people die. And the mother didn't want to do that. And she was taking all sorts, giving all sorts of nutrition and herbal formulas to uh, this boy. And when I heard about it and see he was taking 80 capsules a day and it wasn't working, well, why? Absorption. He got on this high impact ginger and it's six capsules three times a day. He cut back everything else in half within 10 days. You can see it from October 3rd to October 13th. The change in him and how he looked was absolutely incredible. Folks, there is incredible research. There's research about, uh, that we see uh, in the medical journals about tea tree actually blocking viral multiplication by more than 96%, by more than 96% in wow. the medical journals. And we are, do have things that we can do, but the whole concept is mm -hmm. give the body what it needs and help the body to do everything it can to heal itself. Like. I'm so excited and we haven't we haven't scratched the surface and we've only touched the tip of the iceberg here with the exciting information in this in what I'm seeing and what everybody else is hearing. I want to thank you so much for being on today's call. Again, give us that website. Yes, it's risingtideofdisease.com. Okay. risingtideofdisease.com. We will be back with part two with Blake Graham in more about ginger and turmeric. Thank you, Blake, so much for joining me today. This is Karen Lynn Grant with Joy Coaching America.